The seventh chapter of 1 Corinthians uh, addresses singleness, marriage, divorce, remarriage. Uh, these are addressed throughout the chapter, and we are in the middle of this chapter. I do hope that no matter where you are at in life, no matter what your marital status is, uh, that the Lord has been using this chapter uh, to spur you on in living for the Lord Jesus Christ in whatever circumstances you find yourself in, in whatever marital status uh, you, you, you are in. I pray that the Lord is using this uh, to teach you to be content with the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, to, to live for the Lord, to glorify Him in the midst of whatever circumstances you are in. This is exactly what Paul drives home for us in the verses that we will look at uh, this, this morning in verses 17 through 24. Upon the first reading, it may not sound to be related to what Paul has been talking about, but it is very related, as we will see. Uh, please stand in honor of the Word of God. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 17 through 24. <clears throat> Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who is called in the Lord as a slave is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called is a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. This is God's holy word. Please be seated. <clears throat> This passage that I just read states the general spiritual principle that is behind much of what the Apostle teaches throughout this chapter. In fact, this principle is stated three times in this passage. Notice it in verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Notice it again in verse 20. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. And then lastly in verse 24, So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. That this principle is connected to the rest of the chapter is evidenced in two ways. First of all, it's evidenced in the fact that we see the same wording uh, in these verses um, that I have read to us. Uh, and in other portions of this chapter. The second way that this is evidenced is that the concepts uh, that we have seen in these verses that I have read to us, we also see uh, in other sections in this chapter. Let me show you how we see the same wording. Um, a key word in the passage that I read to us uh, is the word remain. Notice that word remain in verse 20. 
each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Now I want you to see that this word remain is used elsewhere in the chapter. Uh, go back to verse 8. Verse 8. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. You see that word remain. Go down to verse 10 and 11. To the married I give this charge, not I but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. So again, the word remain. And then go down to verse 39. 39 and 40. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. So again, the word remain. Another key word that is repeated in this passage or in this chapter are the actually, actually the two terms that go together, one being bondservant, also translated slave, and the other term free. There's a contrast between bondservant or slave and free. Notice that in 21 and 22. 21. Uh, were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord is a slave, as a slave is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a slave of Christ. Now we see the same terminology elsewhere in the chapter. Uh, go back to verse 15. Verse 15. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. Another form of the same Greek word, enslaved. Uh, go down to uh, verse, verse 39. Verse 39, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free. Notice that word free. She's free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. So we have some terms that we find in our text in the middle of this chapter that we're studying today. And we find those same terms elsewhere in the chapter. It's tied together. But then even more than that, we see the same concepts. Um, in our passage today and elsewhere in the chapter. Uh, look at verse 24, the concept uh, here. Verse 24, So brothers, in whatever condition each was called there, let him remain with God. Now we've seen that concept already without the same wording being used. Um, and, and, and we will continue to see it. Just go down to the next verse. Verse 25, now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment, one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. The same principle uh, that we find in our text. Um, also, if you think about what we have studied already, in this chapter, uh, Paul's in instruction to husbands and wives in verses 2 through 6 was to continue having sexual relations together, to continue in that. When Paul addressed the unmarried and the widows in verses 8 and 9, 
He said there are advantages to remaining single. His main instruction to those married to a believer in verses 10 through 11 was to remain married. And his main instruction to those married to an unbeliever in verses 12 through 16 was also to remain married. The general spiritual principle that Paul um, is teaching as he addresses singleness, marriage, divorce, and remarriage is that each believer should remain in the condition in which he was called. That's the general spiritual principle uh, that he has been teaching. Now, why is Paul teaching this? Well, the apostle is responding to something the Corinthians wrote in their letter to him, which Paul partially quoted in verse 1, which introduced this whole subject. Go back to verse 1. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, and then we have quotations in the ESV, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. That seems to be a quotation from the letter that the Corinthians wrote to Paul. And he has been responding to that. He, 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 can, he cannot agree with that statement. And so he's been majorly qualifying that. He's responding to that. He's been responding to various misunderstandings um, amongst the Corinthians regarding singleness, marriage, divorce, remarriage. The Corinthians wrongly thought that abstinence was more spiritual for married couples. The Corinthians wrongly thought that some marital statuses were more spiritual than others. And Paul is teaching that becoming a Christian does not mean now married couples need to stop having sex or now need to divorce. He's teaching that becoming a Christian does not mean that now singles need to get married. Becoming a Christian does not mean that now a believer married to an unbeliever needs to divorce the unbeliever. No, not at all. Such perspectives are all wrong. As a general principle... Paul says each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. But there are exceptions. We've seen Paul give exceptions. In verse 6, the Apostle Paul says a married couple can abstain from sexual relations by agreement for a limited time for the purpose of prayer. In verse 9, Paul says the unmarried and widows who struggle with self-control in sexual matters should marry. In verse 15, Paul says, If an unbelieving spouse seeks to divorce, let it be so. Now in our text, Paul will state the general spiritual principle and illustrate it with two examples from outside the realm of marital status so that we will better understand this principle that undergirds his teaching throughout the chapter. We'll see this morning in our text, first of all, the general principle of leading the life the Lord has assigned when He called you. Secondly, we will see the example of the circumcised and the uncircumcised. And thirdly, we will see the example of slaves and free. Understanding this passage that we are studying this morning will give you the proper mindset for applying the teaching elsewhere in this chapter regarding singleness, marriage, divorce, and remarriage. So you might glorify God in both your actions and your heart. First of all, we will see the general principle of leading the life the Lord assigned when He called you. 
Look closely with me at verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Now, the New American Standard translates this more literally. Listen carefully to the literal translation from the New American Standard. Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each, in this manner let him walk. And after studying it, I think that is a better translation. Now, we can better understand what Paul means by this when we look at Paul's summary of this section in verse 24. In that light, look at verse 24. Here's his summary at the end of the section. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. A very important idea in this whole section of Scripture that we are studying this morning is that of being called by God. It is mentioned in all but two of the verses in our passage. I want you to notice how this call is referred to in verse 18. In 18, he asks, Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him seek uh, let him not seek circumcision. And then go down to verses 21 and 22 to see how he speaks of this call in these verses. 21. Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a slave of Christ. This idea of calling is all over this text. The calling that is referred to repeatedly in this passage is the call of God that resulted in our conversion to Christ. You know, before we became a Christian, we were not following Christ. Uh, We were dead in trespasses and sins. Uh, We were following the course of this world, the world that's in rebellion against God. But then... God's call came. His call came through the gospel, made effectual by the Holy Spirit, calling us to turn from our sin to the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting in Him as our Savior, and following Him now as our Lord. God's call was a call unto Christ, a call unto Christ for salvation, and to now follow Christ as His disciple. This call was spoken of earlier in this epistle. Go back to chapter 1, verse 9. Chapter 1, verse 9. Paul often in his opening verses of an epistle will bring up themes that are important in the letter. And this theme of calling is one of them. Chapter 1, verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. That's how Paul spoke of this call at the very beginning of this book. Brothers and sisters, you were called by God into the fellowship of His Son. That's, That's what a Christian is. A Christian is someone who has been called by God into 
the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. For Paul, this call was both a call unto Christ for salvation and a call to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. It all was part of the the same call for Paul. If you go back to chapter 1, verse 1, how Paul identifies himself in the first verse. He says, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sothenes. When God called Paul to Christ for salvation, at the same time, God called Paul to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, to serve Christ as his, one of his chosen apostles. If you go down in the same chapter to verses 23 and 24, calling is mentioned again. Verse 23, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. So here, Paul terms Christians those who are called. While the gospel is seen as foolishness by the world, those who are called by God, called by His grace, those who have been effectually called to Jesus Christ, to such a one, the gospel is not foolishness, it's the opposite. To us, the gospel is the power of God, it's the wisdom of God as those who have been called into fellowship with God's Son. And then go down to verse 26. Uh, Calling is mentioned again here. Verse 26, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. You see here that God's calling of an individual reveals God's prior choice of that individual. He says, consider your calling, brothers. Look at whom God chose. All right. For the most part, it wasn't the people that the world looks at as, well, those are the most influential people. Those are the people I would want on my team. Those are the people I would want in my business working for me. No, God, for the most part, chose the lowly in order to shame the wise. That no one would boast in self, but instead would boast in the Lord. But notice again that idea of calling. Consider your calling, brothers. Going back to our conversion. The word calling speaks of God's side of conversion. God initiates. God calls through the gospel as the Spirit makes that gospel effectual in the heart. And our response to the call is to turn from our sin to Jesus Christ. It's to embrace Christ as Savior and Lord to follow Him. So calling is the divine side Conversion can be said to be the the, the human side. It's it's the response to God's grace working in us through the gospel and calling us to Christ. So this call that Paul speaks of, 
that is an important theme in this epistle that, that Paul mentions a good number of times in our text. You can come back to 1 Corinthians 7. This call is the effectual call of God through the gospel unto Christ Jesus. This call came to us at a specific time. And it immediately resulted in our conversion to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, God was preparing us even before that. As He was bringing the gospel to us, He was giving us understanding of the gospel, He was convicting us through His law of our sin, how He was preparing us, a work of God in drawing us. But the, the call of God came to us at a specific time, and it immediately resulted in our conversion to the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. Everyone who has been called has believed. Everyone who has been called has turned to Christ. This is the effectual call of God. Just as Paul's calling included a call to serve Christ as an apostle, so our calling included a call to serve Christ and live for Him as well. A call to follow Christ as our Lord and Master, because you cannot have Christ as Savior without having Him as Lord. The call to come to Christ is a call to submit to the Lordship of Christ. It's a call to to follow Christ as your Master. It's a call to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. So here in our text in verse 17... Again, I'll I'll read from the New American Standard because I think it's better here. Only as the Lord has assigned to each, as God has called each, in this manner let him walk. The Apostle instructs us here in verse 17 of our text to live out God's calling in our current life situation. Whether our situation is being single, or married to a believer, or married to an unbeliever. The Apostle is instructing us here to live out God's calling in our current life situation. To live for the Lord Jesus Christ in our current life situation. Paul speaks here of walking as the Lord has assigned to you. When God called you to Christ, He assigned you to living for Christ in your current marital status and social condition. If you were single when God called you, He assigned you to live for Christ as a single. If you were married either to a believer or to an unbeliever. He assigned you to live for Christ as a married person. The way the Christian Standard Bible translates verse 17 is, let each one live in his life, I'm sorry, let each one live his life in the situation the Lord assigned when God called him. That's the sense of what Paul is saying here. Now, this does not mean that we cannot, under any circumstances, change our marital status after being saved. Think of the teaching earlier in this chapter. Rather, the idea is that our being called unto Christ is ultimate, not our marital or social status. And there is a temptation in our minds to make our marital status or our social status ultimate. The idea, though, here, is that our being called unto Christ is ultimate. We have not been created for the purpose of finding our ultimate satisfaction in either the freedom of singleness or in the companionship and intimacy of marriage. Rather, we have been created for the purpose of knowing God. That is what our calling is about. 
The Christian calling is a calling to know God through Christ. To worship and serve, serve Him and live for Him. That's the Christian calling. That, that is what we have been created for, and that is what we have been saved for. And this is what our calling is all about. This calling is not to be lived out in some other life situation that now we are to seek, now that we are saved. Rather, this calling is to be lived out in the here and now where God has sovereignly planted us. Our text instructs us as believers to willingly accept the situation in which God has sovereignly placed us and to be content serving Him in this place. You and I are not to be preoccupied with changing our marital status or preoccupied with changing our life situation. Rather, we are to be preoccupied with following the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul continues in verse 17... He says, this is my rule in all the churches. What I'm, not te- what I'm telling you is not something that I'm only telling you. This is my teaching in all the churches. Now, the apostle proceeds to illustrate this with an example that would have been clear to the Corinthians and should be clear to us as well. He uses as an illustration the example of the circumcised and the uncircumcised. Look at verse 18. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. God instituted circumcision as a sign of his covenant with Abraham. So I want you to go back to Genesis 17 uh, to see this. Genesis 17. We need to have some understanding of the significance of circumcision in the Old Testament. Genesis 17, I'll begin at verse 9. God in His grace has come to Abraham and given him great and precious promises. Promising, promises of blessing. Promises of making him into a great nation. Genesis 17, beginning at verse 9. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, Both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So God made it very clear when he instituted this He was instituting it as a sign of the covenant that God made 
with the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So, if a Gentile male wanted to become an Israelite, or later we could use the term Jew, because at first in the Old Testament the Israelites are called Israelites, then later on they're called Jews. If a Gentile male wanted to become an Israelite or become a Jew, he had to be circumcised. Now Paul, you can come back to our text, Paul says in 1 Corinthians seven eighteen, Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. There was a surgical procedure for reversing circumcision that was practiced by some Jewish men who were ashamed of being circumcised and wanted to fit in with Greeks and Romans. It was similar to Jews today who, out of fear of anti-Semitism, hide the star of David that they normally wear in public or stop wearing their yarmulke in public. But our text says, the Jewish man who is called to Jesus Christ ought not to reverse his circumcision. And Paul continues in verse 18, Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. The gospel is for both Jew and Gentile. And neither being a circumcised Jew nor an uncircumcised Gentile is more pleasing to God than the other. What matters, Paul says in verse 19, is keeping the commandments of God. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Now this is a striking statement, since God commanded the Jews under the Old Covenant to circumcise all their males. We saw that in Genesis 17. even said that if one would not be circumcised, he is to be cut off from the people. So it's a very striking statement uh, here in verse 19. uh, Neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. The Jewish Christian and the Gentile Christian can both, by the power of the Spirit, keep God's commandments. God's commandments here are the ethical imperatives of the Christian faith. What God in His Word uh, requires of the follower of Jesus Christ. Christ. That is what matters. Keeping the commandments of God. Not being circumcised or uncircumcised. What matters is not if the Christian is circumcised or uncircumcised, but rather how the Christian lives in whichever state he is in. That he lives in new obedience to God. That's what matters. And the Jewish believer can do so, and the Gentile believer can do so. Now that you're a Christian, you don't have to change that. Your obedience to God is not dependent on having a certain marital status or having any other social status. Obedience is a matter of being in union and communion with the Lord Jesus Christ. The church in Corinth already understood what Paul says in these verses about circumcision and uncircumcision. The reason why Paul says these things that they already understood is to use it as an illustration. He states the point of this illustration in verse 20. Look at it in verse 20. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. That that was already clear to the Corinthians when it came to circumcision and uncircumcision. Now that you're a Christian, you don't have to change that. 
What matters is obeying the commandments of God. I can do that either way. He's illustrating the principle that has under, that been underneath everything he has taught in this chapter. He brings up something that's clear to them. That they weren't clear on marriage, divorce, singleness. They were clear on circumcised and uncircumcised. So he brings up what is clear. Here's an example. This shows you this principle that I am applying to singleness, marriage, and so forth. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. This is true of the conditions of circumcision and uncircumcision. And in context, it is also true of the conditions of being single, being married to a believer, and being married to an unbeliever. Until the Lord clearly leads you to do otherwise, you are to remain in the condition in which you were called. This is, this is not saying, again, it's not saying you can't change things after you become a Christian. All right. But the idea is, until the Lord clears, clearly leads you to do otherwise, you are to remain in the condition in which you were called. Now, brothers and sisters, do understand that such leading would never be contrary to the absolute commandments of God. He's just made it clear. What matters is obeying God's commandments. And sometimes when we're in one status, one condition, we really want that to be Changed, And so it can be very easy to misunderstand God's will. Go, oh, it must be His will that I get married. Or it must be His will that I get out of this marriage. It must be. When you have a strong desire, it's very easy to rationalize your desire as God's will. Understand that such leading to change the condition in which you are in, such leading would never be contrary to the absolute commandments of God. Obeying God is what matters. Well, the apostle continues to illustrate his principle with a second example that would have been clear to the Corinthians and should be clear to us. That is the example of slaves and free. Look with me at verse 21. Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. Do understand that when Paul writes this, about one-third of Corinth's population were slaves. Another third of Corinth's population were freedmen, meaning that they had once been slaves, but they had gained their freedom. So slavery was very common in Corinth, and the rest of the Greco-Roman world. And God has saved these Corinthians in the midst of that kind of a, of a world. Slaves uh, in the Greco-Roman world did many different jobs. When you think of the slavery of Paul's day, don't think of the slavery from American history. Right. Slaves did many different jobs. Uh, Teachers, doctors, and accountants were often slaves, along with household servants, table waiters, and other manual laborers. And what Paul says here in verse 21 is, If you were a slave when you were called to Christ, do not be concerned about it. Your great concern should not be gaining your freedom, as if that were necessary for pleasing God. 
However, Paul says, if you are given the opportunity to gain your freedom, take the opportunity. Do you understand that it was customary for masters to free their slaves, usually by the age of 30? The promise of freedom one day as a reward for loyal uh, service was used to motivate slaves to work hard. So it was very common in that day for slaves to be freed by their master. Paul says in our text, verse 21, Were you a slave when called, do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. If a Christian slave were given that opportunity, he should take it. But gaining his freedom should not be his great concern. The New Testament is opposed to slavery. However, the New Testament does not call upon slaves to revolt. Gaining his freedom should not be the Christian slave's great concern. Why not? Look at the next verse. Look at verse 22. For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freedman of the Lord. The Christian slave, just like every other Christian, has been set free in the sense that matters the most by far. He says of this Christian, which would be true of every Christian, you are a freedman of the Lord. This term freedman was a technical term for those who formerly were slaves but had been released. And oftentimes a freed man had continuing personal and legal obligations to his master, and the master had responsibilities toward his freed man. You've been freed from slavery, but you still might work for the man who once held you as a slave. Right. But in a new relationship. Now, this verse says the Christian is a freed man of the Lord. The Christian has been set free by the Lord Jesus Christ and is in a new relationship with Christ. Christ has set the Christian free from sin. We have been set free from the penalty of sin. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. The penalty of sin is God's eternal judgment in the lake of fire. That's what you deserve for your sin. That's what I deserve for my sin. And yet, when we were saved, Christ set us free from the penalty of sin. For He paid the penalty for us. And when we believed in Christ, Christ's atoning work was applied by the Holy Spirit to our soul, setting us free from the penalty of sin. At the same time, Christ set us free from the power of sin. Jesus says that uh, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. We were in slavery to sin. We, we had no power uh, to escape sin. We were spiritually dead. Dead in trespasses and sins. Sin had power over us and we could not free ourselves from that power. Yet, when we believed in Christ, Christ set us free from the power of sin. Read in Romans 6 about that. All right. And so we have to count ourselves free from the power of sin because this is the truth of the gospel. Sin no longer has dominion over you, brothers and sisters. But now by the power of the Spirit, you can walk in newness of life in obedience to God. You can turn your back on sin. You can resist temptation. 
and you can submit to God. We have been set free. Christ has set the Christian free from God's condemnation and judgment. Christ has set the Christian free from the curse of the law. It is the law of God itself that pronounces a curse of judgment upon anyone who does not do everything written in the law. And Christ became that curse for us. Meaning that He suffered that curse in our place upon the cross so we have been set free from the curse of the law. And we have been set free from the hold of Satan. 1 John says that before we were saved, we, were, we lied, we, 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 we were in the embrace of the devil. We were lying in his embrace. He had a hold upon us. Ephesians 2 says that when we were dead in trespasses and sins, we were following the prince of the power of the air. That's the devil. But when we believed in Christ, we were set free from the hold of Satan. We were transferred out of Satan's kingdom into the kingdom of God's beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We were set free. And Christ has set the Christian free not to live however we please. Christ has set the believer free in order that now we will live for God. We couldn't live for God before. When we were in bondage to sin, but we have been set free for a very specific purpose. This is true Christian freedom. When you are free to obey God. When you are free to live for Him. We couldn't before. But we have now been set free to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. This freedom that we have in Christ, brothers and sisters, is the greatest, most complete, most glorious freedom. And if you don't think so, I don't know if you're a Christian. This is the most glorious freedom. Our text says, If you were a slave when called to Christ, do not be concerned about gaining your freedom, because God's call gave you the freedom that really matters. And Paul continues in verse 22, Likewise, he who was free when called is a slave of Christ. The Christian who was not a slave when called to Christ is now a slave of Christ, as every Christian is. And this is truly a privilege. And again, if, if, if the concept of being a slave of Christ in your mind is not a privilege... I don't know if you can be a Christian. It is a privilege to be a slave of Christ. To be a servant of the Most High. To be a servant of our great Savior who shed His blood for us at Calvary. It is the greatest privilege to be called into His service. The service of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who will come in power and great glory and will rule over the nations. It is a privilege to be His servant. Paul encourages the believers. Likewise, he who was free when called is a slave of Christ. How is it that the Christian is a slave of Christ? Look at verse 23. You were bought with a price. 
You're redeemed with a price. The precious blood of Jesus Christ. That's the price that was paid for us. That's the price that bought us. You were bought with a price. The blood of Christ. And then he goes on, Do not become slaves of men. We're Christ's slave because He purchased us with His blood. Now Paul says, Do not become slaves of men. In other words, if you are free, then as far as possible, do not become a slave of men. Now, as in the previous section on circumcision and uncircumcision, what the Apostle says here on slavery and freedom was already understood by the Corinthian church. He's not seeking to persuade them of something they didn't already understand. His purpose in saying these things about slavery and freedom is to use it as an illustration of the same principle that he illustrated with the previous example. He states the point of this illustration in verse 24. Look at verse 24. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Now notice those words, remain with God. We we didn't see that in verse 20. Now in verse 24, uh, he includes these words. There let him remain with God. Now think about what wonderful words these are, remain with God. As you live for Christ, in whatever condition, you brothers and sisters are with God. You are not like Jonah trying to run away from God. You are with God. It was hard for some of the Corinthians to be slaves of unbelieving masters. It may be hard for you being single. You may be in a hard marriage. But when you are content with your circumstances, living for Christ in your circumstances, you are with God. The exhortation to remain in your current situation assigned by the Lord is an exhortation to remain with God. Whether your current situation is singleness, marriage to a believer, or marriage to an unbeliever, Believer. This exhortation is an exhortation to remain with God. We also see in this section that the Christian is not defined by his social status of slave or free. But the Christian is defined by his relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. You are the freedman of the Lord. You are a slave of Christ. This is who you really are. The Christian's identity is found in being a freedman of the Lord and a slave of Christ. Not, it is not found in an earthly, temporary status. Being single does not define you. Being married does not define you. What defines you, brothers and sisters, is your relationship with God that God has graciously given to you. The calling by which you have been called, this defines you. The Christian's identity is found not in something earthly and temporal. The Christian's identity is found in what is eternal and lasting. And it is just as true that the Christian is not defined 
by his marital status, but by his relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not just about slave and free. Paul is bringing this up because it applies to everything he's been talking about. Well, this raises a question. Should the general principle of this whole passage be applied beyond circumcision and uncircumcision, slavery and freedom, and singleness and marriage? Yes, there is further application to be made from this general principle that Paul is teaching. And it is so contrary to the culture that we live in. We live in a culture in which it is common to jump from one life situation to another life situation again and again and again. Jumping, jumping from one job to another job to another job. Jumping from one living location to another living location to another living location. Jumping from one church to another church to another church. Even jumping from spouse to spouse. Always looking for something better or something more satisfying. And some Christians live the same way. Never satisfied very long in one situation. If that is you, our passage says to you, stop jumping. Shift your focus from your circumstances to living out God's calling in whatever your current circumstances. The great call of God that you have received is not a call to a different life situation. The great call of God that you have received is far more grand and glorious than that. It is a call to follow Christ, to serve Christ, to stop living for yourself and instead live for your Lord and Savior. I want you to turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You do not need to hold on to our text. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 14. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. Paul talks about what controls him. Or another translation, what compels him. He says, for the love of Christ controls us. He's not talking about our love for Christ. He's talking about Christ's love for us. The love of Christ, Christ's love for us, controls us. Not my desire for a different life situation, but it's the love of Christ that controls us. This is a love that satisfies far more deeply than any earthly thing can possibly satisfy. The love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So he says that in his life, he is controlled, he is compelled in all that he does, he's motivated in all that he does by the love that Christ has for him, the love that Christ has shown to him. Now, now where do we, if we ever doubt that, brothers and sisters, where do we look? The cross. If you ever doubt, brothers and sisters, the love that Christ has for you, look to the cross. There's no greater love than someone would give up their life for another, and Christ did so for us when we were his enemies. 
The love of Christ. The love of Christ controls us. Now, when Paul thinks about the love of Christ, what does his mind go to? He says, we have concluded that one has died for all. That's one, that's Christ, has died for all. That's all who are in Christ. Christ has died for us. Therefore, all have died. That is, the penalty for our sin has been paid by Christ. We're crucified with Christ. We're united with Christ in His death. We have died with Christ to sin. All right. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And He died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. So he thinks about the love of Christ. His mind goes to Christ's death upon the cross for him. That greatest expression of love. Where Jesus, as the substitute for us, died in our place. Was punished for our sin. He thinks of how he is united with Christ in his death. And he recognizes the purpose of why Christ died for him. It was so that he would no longer live for himself. That's how we once lived. That characterized our lives before we were saved. We lived for ourselves. But Christ died for us so that we would no longer live for ourselves. But now that we would live for Christ... That's what the love of Christ compels us to do, to live for Him. Alright? And it is this to which God has called you, brothers and sisters. What Paul speaks of here in verse 15 of living for the one who for our sake died and was raised. It is to this that God has called you. I can't tell you that God has called you to a different marital status. I can't tell you that God has called you to a different job. I can't tell you that God has called you to live in another state. This is what God has called you to. And this is above and beyond anything else. He has called you to live for your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ in whatever circumstances He has sovereignly placed you. Do you remember the time that Peter, Andrew, James, and John were on the shore of the Sea of Galilee conducting their fishing business? Jesus came to Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Jesus saw Peter and Andrew casting a net into the sea. He saw James and John in a boat mending their nets. And Matthew 4.21 says, quote, He called them. He called them. And He said to them, quote, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. You see, the, fault, the call to follow Jesus is a call to learn from Him and serve Him. Jesus called these fishermen, Follow me, and I will make you Fishers of men. In Matthew 4.22, it says, Immediately they left their boat 
and their father and followed him. Their concern was not finding a better job than the one that they had. Their concern was not finding a better life situation. Their new concern was following Jesus. And so they immediately answered that call and followed Him. And it should be the same for you and me, beloved brethren. Too often Christians become dissatisfied with their life situation and decide to leave a job, sell a house, etc., even though God has not made it clear where they are to go instead. They act on dissatisfaction and discontent rather than the clear will of God. Understand, it is foolish to quit your job confident that God has a better one in store for you when God has not given you a new job. We are too quick to start jumping toward another life situation and we are too slow to actually follow Jesus and serve Him. Let me ask you, how much time do you spend thinking about changing your life situation? Is that something that your mind continually goes to? That's the default. All right, when you don't have to focus on something else and your mind can go anywhere, is that where it goes? How much time do you spend thinking about changing your life situation? Second question. How much time do you spend truly thinking about following and serving your Lord and Savior where you are at? Our thoughts need to go there as a default. When we don't have to be focused on something else, our mind should go to, how can we follow Jesus in my current circumstances? How can I serve Christ in my current circumstances? So compare the two. How much time do you spend thinking about changing your life situation and how much time do you spend truly thinking about following and serving your Lord and Savior where you are at? It may not be God's will for your life situation to change until Jesus comes again. That'll be the best change in life situation. It may not be His will for your life situation to change until then. But you know it is His will to follow Jesus to serve Jesus, to live for the Lord Jesus Christ wherever you are at, because that's what God has called you to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for your call. Your call through the gospel, made effectual by your Spirit calling us out of slavery to sin unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, we cannot thank you enough that you have called us. We pray, Father, that you would enable us to be content in the circumstances in which you have currently ordained for us. Lord, may our great concern be following Jesus and serving Jesus in our circumstances rather than changing our circumstances. Be glorified in our lives as we apply this passage to our hearts and lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.